Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, January 8th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, interesting new Apple car rumors, including how they basically raided Tesla for talent. Alex Stamos and Chris Krebs have formed the Security Avengers. People do seem to be jumping ship from WhatsApp. Why Roku is maybe the dark horse of the streaming wars. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Hyundai has confirmed that it is in early discussions with Apple on collaborating to develop a self-driving car. But in case you're jumping ahead to Apple maybe buying Hyundai or anything like that, this seems to be just a partnership right now. And also, Hyundai says Apple is talking to several car makers about a bunch of things right now. So, quoting CNBC, We understand that Apple is in discussions with a variety of global automakers, including Hyundai Motor. As the discussion is at its early stage, nothing has been decided, a representative from Hyundai Motor told CNBC's Cherry Kang. The statement followed a local report from the Korean Economic Daily that said Apple suggested the tie-up and Hyundai Motor was reviewing the terms. The report said both electric vehicle production as well as battery development were included in the proposal and that the car could potentially be released in 2027. Apple declined to comment on the report, end quote. At the exact same time, over in Bloomberg, Mark Gurman has a piece up saying, yes, Apple is developing an autonomous electric vehicle, but the timeline for release, his sources say, is five to seven years. Also this, quote, A key differentiator would be Apple's ability to integrate its self-driving system, a pricey initiative that has spurred the company to develop its own software, sensor hardware, and chip technologies. The goal is to let a user input their destination and be driven there with little or no other engagement, according to the people familiar with the project. Apple doesn't manufacture its own products, and it will likely take the same approach with a vehicle. It's unclear which company would assemble the car, though. In its first attempt about five years ago, Apple worked with engineers from Magna International, a major auto industry contract manufacturer. Apple has continued to investigate building its self-driving car system for third-party car partners rather than its own vehicle, the people said, and it could ultimately again abandon its own car efforts in favor of this approach. Approach. In a sign it has now rebooted development of a vehicle, Apple in recent months shifted an executive known for his work on vehicle interiors and exteriors to its car team. In 2019, Apple hired former Tesla engineering vice president Steve McManus, but he initially worked on projects unrelated to the car. Now McManus leads a development group with several employees focused on car interiors, fabrics, car testing, and vehicle manufacturing, people with knowledge of the matter said. He reports to Doug Field, a former top Tesla vehicle engineer who runs the Apple Car Project day-to-day. Apple also recently hired Jonathan Sieve, a vehicle engineer from BMW AG, Tesla, and Alphabet's Waymo, as a senior manager on the car project. In 2019, Apple tapped Michael Schwekuch, Tesla's former vice president in charge of drive systems, adding to a growing list of former Tesla employees working on the vehicle effort. Late in 2020, Apple also hired another former Tesla vice president, Stuart Bowers, according to a person familiar with the move. He led Tesla's self-driving technology team until mid-2019 and was an executive in residence at venture capital firm Greylock Partners until July, according to his LinkedIn profile. Apple's car team is filled with dozens of other ex-Tesla hardware and self-driving car engineers. In total, Apple has several hundred engineers working on the project, with most of them developing the self-driving car system rather than the full-fledged vehicle, end quote. 
SolarWinds has hired the ex-CISA director Christopher Krebs as an independent consultant to help its crisis response after the big hack, quoting the Financial Times. Mr. Krebs was in charge of the U.S. Cybersecurity Agency until November when he was fired via Twitter by Donald Trump for challenging claims that the U.S. presidential election had been compromised by fraud. He will work for SolarWinds to coordinate the company's crisis response alongside his new business partner, Alex Stamos, a Stanford University professor and Facebook's former security chief. The pair told the Financial Times it could take years before all of the compromised systems can be made completely secure again. Mr. Krebs said, quote, This has been a multi-year effort by one of the very best, the most sophisticated intelligence operations in the world. It was just one small part of a much larger plan that's highly sophisticated, so I would be expecting more companies that have been compromised, more techniques that we're yet to find. There's so much more to be written, I think, in this chapter of Russian cyber intelligence operations, end quote. So today I learned that Alex Stamos and Chris Krebs have joined forces, Avengers-style, to create, I don't know, a traveling Wilburys-style cybersecurity supergroup? Cool. I'm going to do a potpourri segment here, grabbing a whole bunch of TV-related stories. First up, Roku says that Roku OS-powered smart TVs now hold 38% market share in the U.S. and 31% market share in Canada. We've never thought about TVs as a platform play because... TVs have always been a super fragmented segment. And besides, a TV was always just a TV, right? They're interchangeable. It only mattered what you put on the TV. The real power was, say, with your cable box. Well, no more. Roku OS has quietly created a singular platform, now powering more than a third of all TVs. So what does that mean? Well, I told you Comcast is trying to partner with Walmart to create a new smart TV platform of their own. They're clearly aware of what they've lost here in terms of the power of the cable box. I told you we got a TCL Roku-powered TV recently, and I don't think we've actually turned on our cable box once since we've gotten it. Because if you want to watch a given channel, and I say channel in quotes, you kind of just go to that app on the Roku menu. No need to go to a channel guide from your cable box anymore. But also, news that Roku has acquired the exclusive global rights to more than 75 Quibi shows and will make them available free to stream in 2021 on the Roku channel is interesting. That's the thing. Roku got to where it is by being a neutral platform. Clearly, They've been deliberately shifting away from that recently. Roku is quietly building its own Netflix competitor in the Roku channel. Does this mean that they might start creating their own original content soon? Will we see them bidding on other people's libraries of content? You could certainly see a scenario someday where certain folks might be willing or even eager to do business with someone just to build up a strong Netflix competitor. Especially if this is several years down the road and certain people's streaming efforts have failed, the Roku channel could be positioned quite well in such a scenario. 
And then, in this universe of so many streaming options, this is, as I've said before, the startup your uncle has been pitching to you for years now, right? What if there was one single streaming subscription that gave you a la carte access to the content that hides behind this universe of streaming services? Say hello to Stroom, quoting the Wall Street Journal. Stroom, a streaming service co-founded by former Discovery and Walt Disney executives, won't offer its own slate of original programming when it launches this spring. Instead, it will aim to give customers a la carte access to all content from hundreds of niche streaming services, offering users a way to stream individual shows and movies from various platforms without having to subscribe to each plan separately. Co-founder Paul Pastor said Stroom would give more visibility to lesser-known services, which he said have fantastic content but have trouble being part of someone's daily habit because there is only so much money households will spend on streaming services every month. Former Disney chief executive Michael Eisner whose Tornate Co. is Stroom's main financial backer, told the Wall Street Journal that the decision to invest was a no-brainer. Quote, When I heard about this idea of an aggregation platform that would pick up smaller streaming services that don't have brand awareness, particularly like Netflix does have, I thought this was a great idea, he said. Stroom declined to name any of the services whose content would be available on its platform at launch, but said it has already struck deals with nearly three dozen services, accounting for more than 20,000 TV series, movies, movies, and shorts. Subscribers will get monthly credits that can be used toward watching shows and movies, the company said. Its co-founders, who also include Lauren Devilliers, formerly of Discovery, and Eugene Liu, and Thomas Wadsworth, formerly of Disney, said there would be multiple packages to choose from. A likely one, they said, would cost subscribers $9.99 a month for 100 credits, which should allow them to watch about one program a day, end quote. And finally, in this TV omnibus, I just thought this was kind of cool, so I'm going to shove it in here. TV Remote is an app that turns your iPhone into a universal remote control for your TV. Virtually any TV. Let me just quote. This is from 9to5Mac. TV Remote was created by Adam Foote, the same developer of the Shift keyboard for Apple Watch, which I reviewed on 9to5Mac last year. The app is quite intuitive, and it brings all the main buttons into one screen so you don't have to learn how to use it. The first time you open it, the app identifies all the connected TVs in your Wi-Fi network for quick pairing. You just have to choose your TV from the list and then authorize the app to work as a remote control. If you want to add more than one TV for use with the TV remote app, you can do so. Within just a few seconds, your TV will be paired with the app, and you can control it from your devices. There are navigation buttons to explore the interface and menus, volume and channel controls, as well as shortcuts to media playback, mute, and access to the home screen. Tapping the three dots button reveals even more options, such as subtitles, channel list, and sleep timer. In my experience, the app works just as I expected. I have a Samsung QLED TV... And its official remote app is pretty bad, as there's a considerable delay between tapping the buttons on the iPhone and the TV responding to the commands. With the TV remote app, everything works nearly instantly, and I don't have to wait a few seconds until the app identifies my TV, which happens every time with the Samsung app for some unknown reason. In addition to LG and Samsung TVs, the app also works with other smart TV models from Hitachi, Toshiba, Sharp, and more. TV remote costs $3.99 on the App Store, but it doesn't have any in-app purchases or subscriptions, end quote. Well, 
Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. When I did that FYI earlier this week about WhatsApp changing its terms of service, it was because I kind of had the sense that stuff like this might happen. The encrypted messaging app Signal has seen a surge in popularity following the WhatsApp privacy update that indicated WhatsApp user data was going to be shared with Facebook proper. Quoting Mac Rumors, Encrypted messaging app Signal faced big delays in verifying the phone numbers of new accounts on Thursday because of a sudden surge in people trying to join the platform. In messages posted from its official Twitter account, the nonprofit Signal Foundation said verification codes were delayed across several cellular networks and that it was working through the backlog as quickly as it could. Signal's uptick in users was linked to the user policy changes at WhatsApp and also linked to tweets posted by Tesla CEO Elon Musk, who recently became the world's richest person. As noted by The Verge, Musk continued a trend of criticizing Facebook with a Twitter post on Wednesday evening following the attack on the U.S. Capitol. Building. Musk shared a meme suggesting the founding of Facebook had ultimately led to that day's events and followed it with a tweet suggesting his 41.5 million followers, quote, use Signal, presumably instead of Facebook owned products like WhatsApp. Musk's suggestion was later retweeted by Edward Snowden, another prominent Signal fan. Notably, the Signal Foundation was co founded and funded 
by Brian Acton, the former WhatsApp co-founder who left the company after it was bought by Facebook in 2014. Acton later urged his Twitter followers to delete Facebook, end quote. Time for the weekend long-read suggestions. First up, if you haven't seen this already, I mean, what have you been doing with your time this week? Maybe you were distracted by everything that happened this week. But Bloomberg has had a big oral history out that everyone's been reading, and it's fantastic. It looks back at the original development of the Xbox. Come for the video game history, but stay for the time capsule of the bare-knuckle corporate politics back when Microsoft was at the height of its power. For example, when the nascent Xbox team decided that they needed to develop the platform outside of Windows, they had to go in and, you know, sell that strategic shift to Bill Gates. This is quoting from several different people. Quote, Bill is about 15 or 20 minutes late, and he's pissed. And he comes in shouting and slams his fist on the table and says a bunch of things I won't repeat. The gist of it was, you're screwing Windows. Quote, Bill throws the PowerPoint deck down on the table and says, this is a fucking insult to everything I've accomplished at this company. Quote, we literally, like, needed towels to wipe the spit off our faces because Bill is screaming and yelling at us. But Bill being Bill, he's very, very angry that he's been misled, which he deserved to be. But within a half an hour, he was like, yeah, I understand. Get out of my office, you two jerks, end quote. Next, I think we mentioned the end of the era represented by Farmville being officially shut down. But this piece from the New York Times takes a look at what Farmville begat to the startup world, i.e. Facebook may have invented growth hacking, but it was Zynga on top of the Facebook platform that really supercharged it for better and worse. Quote, Ian Bogost, a game designer and professor at Georgia Tech, said the behaviors Farmville normalized had made it a pace car for the internet economy of the 2010s. He did not mean that as praise. The game encouraged people to draw in friends as resources to both themselves and the service they were using, Mr. Bogost said. It gamified attention and encouraged interaction loops in a way that is now being imitated by everything from Instagram to QAnon, he said. Quote, the internet itself is this bizarre of obsessive worlds where the goal is to bring you back to it in order to do the thing it offers, in order to get your attention and serve ads against it or otherwise derive value from that activity, he said, end quote. I believe we've done long reads about this before, but I, I just have to own up to loving to hear about how technology is revolutionizing archaeology, because I guess in the end, some part of me just kind of wishes I had become an archaeologist. This is Ars Technica, quote, Archaeology is finally catching up with the so-called digital humanities, as evidenced by a February special edition of the Journal of Field Archaeology devoted entirely to discussing the myriad ways in which large-scale data sets and associated analytics are transforming the field. The papers included in the edition were originally presented during a special session of a 2019 meeting of the Society for American Archaeology. The data sets might be a bit smaller than those normally associated with the term big data, but this new digital data gaze is nonetheless having a profound impact on archaeological research, end quote. And finally, you know that I just love space stuff as well. We're hopefully going to have 
that weekend bonus episode soon, the one that I mentioned a few weeks ago with the former chair of the astronomy department at Harvard. It's not been recorded yet, but it is on the calendar. So fingers crossed. Anyway, the final long read today is simple. The next web has a list of the six most exciting space missions that we can look forward to in 2021. So no weekend bonus episode this weekend, but as I just mentioned, we have some coming down the pike. In fact, what I do have already recorded and in my pocket that I'll share with you as soon as I can is the next Office Hours episode, a great sit-down with Gary Tan, the co-founder of the huge VC firm Initialize Capital. And we're going to be introducing other new types of bonus episodes in coming months and weeks. More on that soon. Really interesting stuff coming at you this year. This show is going to expand significantly the volume and type of content that we'll be sharing. Still the great news roundups every weekday, still the deep dive interview episodes, but also some cool new stuff that will help you dive even deeper behind the scenes of the tech and startup industries. We've been working on this all for about six months, and we'll be taking the wraps off it soon. Very exciting stuff. Can't wait to share it with you. Talk to you on Monday. 